Okay, let's get it locked on LSU, your team every day. Get out there, make it a good one, folks. I'm Matt Moscona. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for finding us. We're here every single day. Uh, You can catch me every weekday afternoon on ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, a television simulcast on Cox Sports TV. We talk Tigers, uh, football, baseball, basketball, whatever it may be, and glad that that you're here with us today. The thing that you can do to help us spread the word is, uh, man, retweet this, share it on Facebook, uh, rate us on iTunes, any way that you can help us pass this along, that's how you can help. So, a lot to get to today. Uh, LSU picks up a quarterback commit for 2020. Uh, Damian Craig is a certifiable a-hole and one colossal douchebag. We will talk about that with a new fight video from Saturday night in College Station uh, that very clearly shows Damian Craig was the instigator. And man, an awesome story. Uh, Ryan Clark, former LSU Tiger, now on ESPN, of course, 13 years in the NFL. Ryan joins me every Wednesday during football season. He told an awesome story yesterday on my radio show. I'll let you hear it here if you missed it on the radio show. So we'll start, though, with the, the news. Uh, Max Johnson commits to LSU. He's a 2020 quarterback prospect out of Georgia, four-star. A couple of days ago, Ed Ogeron tweeted, hold that tiger, which is uh, when he tweets when he gets a commit. And we found out now that it's uh, it's Max Johnson. So. Uh, he's the son of Brad Johnson, and oddly enough, he is the uh, the nephew of Mark Richt. So he picked LSU over his in-state Georgia and his his uncle Mark Richt down at Miami. But look, it's a uh, anytime you you get a quarterback, it is notable. Uh, it moves LSU for the twenty twenty class up to number four in the two four seven team rankings. Um, LSU now has two quarterbacks for 2020 with uh, Max Johnson and TJ Finley. We'll talk about that in a second. Johnson, 6'4", 214. Uh, he is a pro-style quarterback, the number five pro-style quarterback in the country, the number 68 overall prospect. So this is a, um, you know, this is a, uh, it's it's a big get, man. It is. Now you got to hold on to him because he's a high school junior, and then you've also got T.J. Finley in the boat as well. So you got two quarterbacks committed. Uh, you get a, a top seventy national player, top hundred national player, of course, a, a high ranked four star, the number five pro style quarterback in the country. You get him over Georgia and Miami, and head offers some Auburn and Florida State and Louisville. I mean, it's. It's significant for all those reasons, but I think you know what what the the yeah but is, and it's it's the thing with quarterbacks that we've talked about for more than a decade now at LSU. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? You've got Joe Burrow for another year. He's very clearly a pro style quarterback. Miles Brennan waiting in the wings. Another pro-style quarterback. Well, the kid you've got committed for 2019 is Peter Parrish. He's a dual-threat quarterback. Now you've got two quarterbacks committed for 2020. Both are listed as pro-style quarterbacks. T.J. Finley's a little bit more mobile as well. But, man, I just look at this, and it's abundantly clear that the issue that LSU has had for a decade that's driven people crazy, what are you on offense? They still don't know. Uh, on one hand, I'm I'm pumped. Like I I'm super pumped. I mean, this is you beat out some major schools for this prospect. Uh, son of an NFL quarterback, 
guessing he's you know he's a student of the game. He's had elite level training his whole life. That's awesome. All those things are phenomenal. He's got the size 6'4", 215 already. He's a high school junior. Think about that. Like Miles Brennan is going into his third year at LSU. He's still 190. Like they're trying to get him to 200. This kid's already at 214. So look, man, there's a lot of things to love about Max Johnson and. You know, I hope he comes to LSU, plays for four years, wins national titles, and, and is awesome. Um, but if, if you're approaching this and you have a healthy degree of, degree, of, degree of skepticism, you're saying, okay, great. So where, where does that leave Peter Parrish then? Because he's a very different style of quarterback. Um, and that's, you know, that's a fair question. But uh, the, another question that LSU fans obviously were going to have is, was LSU going to, to re- replenish their numbers this year? in the 2019 class or in 2020 with two? Because they were going to have to. Look, you lost two guys to transfer this year. You were going to have to sign two at some point, be it in 2019 or 2020. But it's clear now that 19, Peter Parrish will be the the quarterback they take, and then in 2020, they'll take two. So, look, man, the optics of it are awesome. Like, you should be so pumped right now if you're an LSU fan. Four-star, number 68 in the country, son of of a Super Bowl winning quarterback, great size, 6'4", 215, had offers from all these major schools, and he picked you awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You have to figure out what you're going to be offensively. Maybe maybe this is a tell, uh, but it really feels like LSU is just committed to let's go get the best guy available and then build an offense around him. Um, and they've done that with mixed results over the last 10 years offensively. All right, it is Locked on LSU, your team every day. A lot we're going to get into. We'll knock out our first little break here. When we come back, um, there is a new fight video um, from the, the post-game skirmish in College Station this past weekend. I want to talk about that. Uh, also, awesome story from Ryan Clark, former LSU and NFL safety, about um, uh, not only his time, it, well, a story about playing uh, in Tennessee in uh, 2001 against Kelly Washington, but also how his NFL career almost never happened. So that's coming up. Your mailback question as well. It's Locked on LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Glad you're back. Locked On LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. So, uh, late Wednesday night, Ross Dellinger of The Advocate, uh, sorry, of Sports Illustrated, formerly of The Advocate, publishes a story at SI.com, and it includes video of the beginning of that that skirmish in the post game of the LSU Texas A&M game from Saturday and what this video shows now understand it, it just sequentially how we've learned all of this you know what we've learned is Steve Cragthorpe tells reporters or tells the daily advertiser he got punched in the chest in the post game Doubled him over. He got uh, rocked is how he put it. Um, 
video emerges. We find out. We see images of Kevin Falk and and a, a man in a red shirt who we now know as Cole Fisher, the nephew of Jimbo Fisher, who's a uh, a student uh, manager on on the the A and M staff. Well, the first video emerges, and it shows really a very mild shove by Cole Fisher on Cragthorpe. Not not a punch, certainly. We see the skirmish where Fisher throws a punch at Kevin Falk, and then John Battle, LSU safety, punches Cole Fisher in the face. By now we've seen all this. What we didn't see is what was the lead-up to all of this. What caused, what was Cole Fisher doing on LSU's sideline, and what caused all of this to begin with? Well, we now know that. Now, for some context, I want to go back. Uh, Gordy Rush, who's the LSU Sports Radio Network sideline reporter, um, was obviously there. Uh, and, and immediately post-game, uh, Gordy called into the Eagle 98.1 game day uh, post-game show and said Damian Craig was the instigator of all this. That he ran it, sprinted across the field, was taunting LSU. Um, and that's not something that normally you'd throw out there callously. Well, now we know why. Uh, by the way, this Gordy stuck to that Monday on Jacob Hester's show, Hanging with Hester in Baton Rouge. This is what Gordy said Monday about what transpired Saturday immediately after the game. I, I had been watching a lot of Damian Craig, and I'll go back to, to tell that story. He was very animated, pointing across, and, and obviously ticked off about you know being let go at LSU. And, and so when it ended, and I was right, literally just to the right of where the ball was caught in the end zone, you know, I saw Craig just running across the field with his wireless headset, screaming, and, and an entourage, you know, and put the red shirt thing together. And you could tell him just yelling and screaming at Ogeron, who was walking out with Brian Madden and the police. And he went on the other side of the field. At that point, I was out. And then I heard, you know, obviously, we, we all heard the stories on the backside. Again, Gordy was very definitive that this was all instigated by Damian Craig. But I mean, going back to to look, this is all on, this is all on Craig, who's instigated this thing. He had no business mm-hmm. running. You know, it's unprofessional. You don't run across a football field. You had said taunting the head coach. At no point is that acceptable. And you know, I, I don't think the the Cole Fisher thing. The kid gets involved. The, the picture I saw, he was trying to restrain him. That's why I remember some people, and it was hard to tell. They were in front of all the players that were running on the field to celebrate. So now we have a very, very clear image, not just an image, a video of what transpired on the field. Uh, As soon as the game ends in the seventh overtime, Damian Craig, who's wearing a a black sweatshirt and khaki pants, you can see his headset dangling from his, his, his sweatshirt, like on the ground, because he's still got the box hooked up to him. He runs to LSU's sideline. He gets right in Ed Ogeron's face, pumps his fists at him, then goes to the right in front of Joe Burrow, is like throwing fist pumps, taunting the LSU sideline. Now, it's very clear, like, Damian Craig is, is ticked because he uh, got fired by Ed Ogeron. When Ed was hired full-time in 2016, he fired Damian Craig. So Damian spent one season in Baton Rouge. Um, and there's clearly bad blood. But this is an awful look. I mean, Cole Fisher actually ran out with Damian Craig because he was trying to restrain Damian Craig. And only then did did Cragthorpe come into the mix, and that's when Cole Fisher pushed Cragthorpe, and that's when the scrum ensued. This is all on Damian Craig. And you know, Jimbo Fisher a couple of days ago released a statement saying that, you know, asking that everyone trusts that 
his staff had been handled internally. That's not good enough now. I, I was racking my brain trying to think of something involving a coach that was this egregious. And I'm not talking about, you know, Woody Hayes punching a player, you know, from Clemson. That that obviously is at the that takes the cake and will never be be topped. But and I'm not talking about player and player, like when LeGarrette Blunt punched the kid from from Boise State. What I'm talking about is a coach during or after a game in this context doing something this egregious. And the one thing I can really think of recently was a few years back when Todd Grantham was the DC uh, at Florida. He he did this, uh, or I think he was at Georgia actually at the time. He did this choke sign to the Florida kicker, and uh, that would be maybe the only thing that I could think that is that people saw it on video, and people reacted to to it so so you know vigorously. Um, would you know grant them doing it to as the Georgia DC now? It's odd now because he's the Florida DC, but when he was the Georgia DC doing the choke sign at the Florida kicker, that was in 2010, by the way. So, I mean, there just has to be you know, Damian Craig has to issue a public statement that or Jimbo Fisher has to issue a statement denouncing what Damian Craig did. The SEC has to issue a statement publicly reprimanding Damian Craig. You, and the reason, you might say, well, what's a statement going to do? Well, if nothing else, what it does is it shows that this isn't going completely unchecked. Like, we all saw this happen in Euro. Like, silence is just like is tacit approval saying, eh, no big deal. But you can't have this. I mean, ultimately, Damian Craig acting like a moron, sprinting across the field and, and antagonizing LSU coaches and players is ultimately what led to a fight. With an LSU player clocking a, a student manager on the jaw, Kevin Falk and Cole Fisher throwing hands, Steve uh, Cragthorpe getting hit in the pacemaker, like it's a safety issue. It's part of the reason why when you hear about you know the SEC finding teams for storming the field, I understand these were credentialed people, but think if this could happen with credentialed people, what might happen with with fans, inebriated fans in an emotional moment? Man, this this cannot go unchecked. The SEC. Jimbo Fisher, Damian Craig, there needs to be a collective or individual statements that that are made public after this because it's just unacceptable, completely unacceptable, and it validates every story that that everybody heard about Damian Craig when he was in Baton Rouge that he was a colossal douche. And excuse, I usually don't use that word; I find it repulsive, but it, it's pointed enough in this moment that it, it it's warranted. Anyway. So, good on Ross Dellinger. You can go see the video at SI.com. Uh, it's on his Twitter as well, at Ross Dellinger, if you want to see it. But Damian Craig, class guy. You wonder why that guy's never ended up as an offensive coordinator or a head coach, why he's never gotten his opportunity because of stuff like this. You know, that, that reputation follows you, and it's clear that that stench is following Damian Craig all over the place. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. We'll wrap up with a mailbag, and I want you to hear the story Ryan Clark told on my show yesterday. All right, wrapping up Locked on LSU, your team every day. We're going to get to our mailbag here in just a quick second. I wanted you to hear this, though. I'm, I'm very, very lucky uh, to call a Ryan Clark a friend, former LSU Tiger who played 13 seasons in the NFL with the, the Giants, the Redskins, the, the Steelers, and then again with the Redskins. Uh, won a Super Bowl, played in another. Uh, just had a great career now as a, a great analyst on ESPN and 
uh, works at uh, Traction, part owner at Traction Sports Performance in Baton Rouge, where he runs DB Precision, trains defensive backs all over the country at all different levels. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm lucky every Wednesday Ryan Clark comes on my show and we get to talk ball. And we were talking about his 2001 LSU team that got to go play in the Sugar Bowl and why it was a big deal playing a big bowl game because it looks like LSU is going to go to the Fiesta Bowl um, th- this year. And we started talking about that 2001 season, and of course LSU played Tennessee that year, and in that game, Kelly Washington for Tennessee had a career in one day. Uh, he had 11 catches for 256 yards that day in Neyland. And uh, I, I, I started to ask Ryan Clark about that, and he, that segued into a great story about Kelly Washington and about how Ryan Clark's uh, NFL career almost never came about. And I asked him if, if I started by asking if on that day Kelly Washington got him. Yeah, one time. Yeah. Dude, nobody can stop him. You know what? Kelly Washington. <clears throat> he had a career that day. They don't remember Kelly Washington. Kelly Washington was a, a baseball player. He played baseball. He was drafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he came back to play football for Tennessee. And so I was, I'm a very nice guy. Matt, I'm not sure many people know this about me. So we win the game. He's walking off. I'm like, man, great game, man. You're a great player. And he tells me, to my face, bro. It's probably one of the funniest things anybody has ever told me to my face. Because remember, he's like a freshman at the time because he just got back to school. Uh-huh. And he goes, I'm going to play in the NFL. You're a senior, and you will never play. He's like, this is going, he's like you got one game left. Mm. I was like, oh, wow. Mm. Okay, cool. I mean, tell me how you really feel. You seen him since? Yeah, I saw him in the league. How'd that go? And I saw him when he left. Cause I was still playing, so it went, it went just fine. It went just fine. But I remember that man. I did remember. you remember that? If you brought that up to him, <clears throat> I don't think I did. I think I put that helmet in, in his chest a couple of times, but yeah, you know, it wasn't really, it wasn't really a big thing to me. Because honestly, what was crazy, the reason it didn't hurt my feelings was at the time I didn't know if I was going to keep playing. You know, because I was thinking about trying to jump right into coaching. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I knew I would be either a late-round draft pick or undrafted guy. And I didn't want some of those other players who could be grad assistants right away to kind of get a jump on me. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about not even playing. Like, the the saddest article ever written about me. It was so sad. Like, to this day, I hate that I even let people write it. There's me on the front, like, making a play on the ball. <clears throat> and the name of it was Spotlight Growing Dim on Clark. I was like, what? That's so morbid. Wait, who wrote it? I can't even remember, was it, bro. Was it like The Advocate? Was it Tiger Rag or it something? Had, it had, I can't remember what it was. I just remember doing the article. It was just and like just, your, your... And just basically being like, I just don't know if it's for me. Like, I don't know if I'm going to keep playing. Hmm. You know, and I just remember talking to my parents and they just said, they're like, just give it a try. You know, work really hard. See if you can make it. If you don't, then you try it. And so that was what was so crazy about when I got cut by the Giants because Tom Coughlin basically told me, like, you can't play. You know, like, you can't play safety in this league. We don't think you're big enough. We don't think you're physical enough. Imagine that. Mm. I'm not physical enough. How about that? You're a mean guy in the field, bro. And so that's why I was working for TAF because I was like, well, shoot, I'm done. I had my two years. I actually, the day I got called to go for the tryout for Washington, I went to Muschamp's office to ask him was the possibilities of me working with the team and things like that. Like I was setting up life for after mm. football, after year two, I was cut. And then 11 years later, you get to retire on ESPN. Kind of worked out all right for you, man. It worked out. Hey, man, God, hey, God is better to me. He had better plans for me than I had. That's all.
Awesome stuff, as always, from uh, Ryan Clark. If you want to listen to the entire interview, he uh, spent nearly the entire first hour of uh, Wednesday's show with me. Uh, you can go to 1045ESPN.com and listen, or however you listen to this podcast, just search 1045ESPN, uh, and then you'll, you'll see the Ryan Clark interview with yesterday's date, with, uh, with Wednesday's date. All right, it is Locked on LSU. We'll get the mailbag in a second. Got to remind you about Sling TV. A free seven-day trial. Take advantage of it, man. We're coming up on bowl season. It's a great time. Sling.com slash locked on. Sling.com slash locked on to get your free seven-day trial of Sling TV. Remember, all the channels you want, none of the channels you don't. You're not paying for channels you never watch. It's 30 bucks a month. 30 bucks a month. No long-term contracts. Cancel anytime. It's Sling TV. Sling.com slash locked on. Sling TV, a great sponsor here of Locked On LSU. Okay, we'll wrap up with a couple of mailbag questions here. Go to Twitter. Remember, you can always tweet me at Matt Moscona or at Locked On LSU to get your questions. Uh, good one from Bob, at LSU Boy 91. That's B-O-I, LSU B-O-I 91. So regarding next year, what's who steps in for Devin White? That's my biggest concern thus far, unless Fulton decides to bolt for the league. Um, We'll keep an eye on Christian Fulton. I don't have an idea there, but uh, I, I don't know yet. And someone asked yesterday. But as far as Devin White, who replaces Devin White is easy. That's 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 uh, Jacob Phillips. Uh, that, I mean, that's the easiest answer. Six slides over into Devin White's spot, and you hope in year three, I mean, physically, Jacob Phillips at 6'4", you know, 230, 235, is already looks the part. I mean, he's already ready physically. Um you just hope that another year of playing ball, another year of study, that he the game slows down to where he can make the calls and be in the right position, all that sort of stuff. But but that's an easy one. Is who re, who replaces Devin White? Is Jacob Phillips? He's your most experienced linebacker. He's built like an inside backer. That that's easy. The question then becomes, who replaces Jacob Phillips? Well, Micah Baskerville got a lot of playing time this year. When Phillips was out, Baskerville started for him at Florida. Uh, when Phillips was ejected for targeting against Texas A&M, Baskerville went in. And as a true freshman, guy played an awful lot of football. The The wild card in all of this is Tyler Taylor. And, of course, we know Tyler Taylor didn't play at all for LSU this year. He was arrested in his home state of Georgia, allegedly driving the getaway car at a pawn shop uh, burglary. Um, so we'll wait and see what happens with those legal proceedings. But my guess is if... If he's cleared of those charges, they'd welcome him back. I, I can't see why they wouldn't. Now, you got to wait and see what happens with all the legal proceedings, but that's the wild card because if you get you – know, if all of a sudden you get Tyler Taylor back – remember, coming into this year, Tyler Taylor was actually the more experienced guy. As a freshman last year, there were the three linebackers with Taylor, Phillips, and Patrick Queen. And Taylor was the one who played the bulk of the snaps. So Phillips, it felt like maybe was going to steal those snaps from Taylor this year anyway, but it doesn't take away from the fact that – Taylor's still a very physical inside backer and would be fantastic if if he's available. Then the other one's the guy I just mentioned is Patrick Queen. Now, he's played some outside backer um, this year as Dave Aranda's looked for pass rushing options. But you're going to have Caleb Chasson back next year. So, realistically, Phillips, Queen, Baskerville. And, I mean, let's not forget also that you've got um, uh, Damone Clark, who's a freshman this year, who who hasn't played a bunch. Um you know, the, the freshman from uh, from Southern Lab who came in with Baskerville as well as Baskerville and Clark were kind of the two vying for that spot. But both of those guys are a year older as well. So you're going to have – and, and for, for the record, Tyler Taylor is still on the LSU roster. Um, 
So you're you're going to have numbers there at linebacker for 2019. I I, I don't losing Devin White is obviously massive. I mean he's arguably the best linebacker LSU's ever had, or arguably. But you know White at six one two forty and you replace him with Jacob Phillips six four two thirty. I mean you've got a big physical presence in the middle who's played a ton of football. I don't think linebacker is really the question. I think bolstering the the depth and production on your defensive line is big and then. You're going to have to replace Greedy and then potentially Fulton as well if he leaves early. So, you know, that might be the bigger question. I just, I think LSU next year in 2019, relative to the questions they had coming in in 2018, is just a vastly different team. So, um, expectations will be very, very different uh, at this time, you know, going into uh, in, in the summer of 2019 as, as compared to, to, to this year. Uh, one more, real quick. Um, uh, Justin Credible on Twitter at gravy sauce cream said, does Erica ever watch or listen to AFR? She gives you pointers, suggestions, criticisms, et cetera. Uh, it's funny. She actually does. Yeah. And she, and my wife knows really nothing about sports, uh, which is hilarious, but she watches more to support me and, um, she'll watch the show or listen to it. Uh, and it's funny because the, um, when you talk to someone who, who doesn't have great knowledge of the subject matter, but tries to tries to give you give you pointers? It it can be humorous at times, but yeah, she watches the support and sometimes will will mention things. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's a good idea for another um, for another show. Like go have her elaborate on some of those things sometimes. Maybe we'll do that sooner than later. All right, let me get out of here. It's locked on LSU, your team every day. We appreciate you for hanging out. We'll see you tomorrow.